Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. All right, welcome to church. We're going to jump in. This is Window Wars Part 3. This is our final message in this series. And one, I've been really excited to preach. This is probably the message that I've been waiting for in this series because of really what the background, what the text really takes us to. And I'll give you even a little background before we read our text today. This is out of Joshua chapter 2. In the book of Joshua, uh, specifically in chapter 2, the people of Israel are attacking Jericho. They are attacking Jericho. If you went to Sunday school, you might have grown up singing a song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and I'm not going to sing it for you, okay, it's just in my head right now, but it's it's not going to happen because I love you. I love you. I'm going to prefer you. And so uh, Joshua was about to fight the battle of Jericho. Joshua took over for Moses. And Moses has died. Joshua is now in charge. They're moving into a land that had been promised to them. So this is not just just moving somewhere. This is they're moving into their promise that God has for them. And so they're in. They're beginning this journey. And as they they go into this journey, for some reason, God speaks to Joshua and says, "I want you to send spies, two spies, into Jericho." It's interesting because the land had already been spied out. Specifically, uh, the land had already been, been promised by God that they would, it would be delivered into their hands. So there's really no reason to send spies, but for some reason, God tells them to send spies into Jericho. The spies go into Jericho, they get found out, and I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version here. The, 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 the spies get found out, and they are looking for a place to hide. They find a place to hide in a house that's positioned on the wall with a window that, over, that, that looks out of the city, and it is a house of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And Rahab is where we're going to pull the rest of our story. Joshua chapter 2, verse 14, these spies are now in her house, and she has, she has asked them for God to show her kindness. This is their response in verse 14. It says, our lives, the spies, for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house, they will only be saved if they're in the house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads and we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And this is what she did. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I want to talk to you about Rahab and and really this backdrop in Joshua chapter 2. It is packed with symbolism. It's packed with types and shadows of the coming Messiah, of Jesus. It, it, it is very incredible what is found in this passage. But, it, but she, it says she's tied the scarlet cord on the window. 
Now, if you've been a part of our series uh, and, and you've been part of uh, some of the previous messages, you can look back and, and, and still watch them or listen to them if you'd like, if you missed them. But a window represents a place I can be at, but gives me the ability to look into another place. So I, I can be in one place, but I can look into another place. You ever heard the phrase, grass is always greener on the other side? This, this is what a window does. It gives us the ability to look into another place and really compare it with the place that we're at. We compare the place. The windows are dangerous specifically because where we are, we're usually discontented with. Where we are right now, the relationships we have right now, the status we have right now, we're usually unsatisfied with. And what happens when we're unsatisfied is we begin to look. Begin to look out the window, begin to check social media, start comparing to our neighbors, start comparing to the guy down the street and the guy we graduated high school with. We start looking, and that is the danger of the window, and the window really becomes a place that we withdraw to. When things get tough, when we feel insecure, when we feel uh, offended, we withdraw to windows, to places now that we can look out of and we can look down on, usually, other, police, other places and other people. Rahab, for this story, she ties the scarlet cord in the window. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but there's some situations in life you just know are not going to end well. You know, usually you can see them for someone else before you can see them for yourself. You know, you, 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 it's like someone gets in a bad relationship and you just know. It's like, oh. Now, if you were in it, you wouldn't be able to tell. But because they're in it, we all know, right? Like, oh, oh, he is not good enough for you, girl. Like, kick him to the curb right now. I mean, we know. If we were in it, it'd be different. But, but you know, it's just, it's just different how you can see for other people what you can't see for yourself. Years ago, I went skiing for the first time and I was young and and uh, we went up, and uh, you know they had the chairlift, and I was still trying to figure it all out, and skis and poles, and you know there's a lot of pieces there, and so I'm trying to figure it out. And one of my friends, my past friends, okay, uh, said, "Yeah, the best way to learn how to ski is just get on the chairlift. It'll take you to the top, and then you just kind of make your way down." I'm like, "All right." I mean. Like, what else are you supposed to do? So up we went to the very top of the mountain. And, and then I didn't know, like, the, the signs. I didn't know how they worked, like the blue circle and the green square and the black diamond. So I'm like, that black diamond looks cool. And he's like, yeah, that's what I was going to choose as well. So let's, let's do that. If you've ever been skiing, black dot was like one of the most difficult slopes to ski. It's probably not a good idea to do when you're never skied. And so I started a long, tumultuous journey down the mountain of skiing, crashing, skiing, crashing, skiing, crashing, yard sale, which means skis over here and poles over here, Adam, just everywhere. And, 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 and made, I knew really quickly it was not going to end well. It did not take me long to know it all. At, 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 I mean, I, I knew this is like, this is going to be bad. This, this is, I might as well like, you know, fake an injury, take a ski sled down to the bottom. Because here's the thing is once you're going down, you're probably not going to go back up. 
You're not going to take the skis off and just try to like hike it up and try to take the chair down. Like once you're like going down, you're going to go down. I, I think sometimes in life, bad situations happen like bad mountains. It's like once it starts going, there's just no way out. It just feels like you can't go back and it's not going the way that you want it to. I think business can happen like this sometimes. I think relationships can happen this way sometimes. It's like this is not going the way that I planned, but it's too late. You're already started. This is where Rahab finds herself in this similar situation, and this is why. She had heard rumors that the people of Israel were coming to the city. She had heard rumors of the God that they serve that was destroying city after city after city, and she knew that the land she lived in was land that was promised to the Israelite people. So she put two and two together real quick to recognize that she was on the pathway to destruction. And so when the two spies just happened to come to her house looking for safety, she begins to speak to them, begins to talk to them, and this is what she asks them, and this is in a previous scripture in verse 12. She says, ask for your God to show me kindness. I think for any of us, that sounds pretty normal, like just, yeah, like, like show me kindness. But this Hebrew word kindness is not just like a kindness you would show to the, the pizza man when he delivers some pizza and you give him a tip and it's just some kind. This kindness is covenantal kindness. It is kindness that is attached with a covenant, which means it's not, it can't be broken. It's kindness that's guaranteed. It's, it's a kindness that is attached to godly character. And this is the word that she uses to say, will you make sure that your God shows me kindness? I want covenantal kindness. And then we read in verse 14 that the spy said, if you will protect us, then we will make sure that God shows you and our people show you. And they respond with the same word, this type of covenantal kindness. Now, I think this is interesting because Rahab is a prostitute. Rahab does not have the best occupation. Rahab does not have the most, um, the most advanced pedigree for God to use her greatly. I mean, you would think that you would, might, might need to have a little bit better behavior. You might need to be a little bit more polished, a little more righteous for God to use you in a, in a massive way. But for some reason, they reassure Rahab that if she ties a scarlet cord in her window, that they will, there will be kindness from God shown to her. Kindness, covenantal kindness showed to her. Rahab asked and the spies promised that God would show her this kindness. This city was going down. What, she had to make a decision in this moment, and this is really what the scarlet cord did for her, is that she had to decide what she was about to do. Was she going to trust the city or was she going to trust the cord? This is the decision that she had to make because the city is the city she grew up in. The city, the Bible teaches us, was one of the most fortified cities that was built in that day that had walls so thick that for sport they would race chariots on top of the walls. That's how thick they were, that chariots would race on top of the walls. This city, they said, was impenetrable, that there was no way it could go down. But Rahab had begun to hear about how this God was working, that he was gracious and compassionate, that he was 
that he was a powerful God, that he wasn't like all the other gods that they worshiped, lowercase gods. This was a God of all gods. And because of that, she had a decision to make if she was going to trust the city in which she had trusted her whole life or the cord in which these spies had told her to trust in. And so I'm going to tell you for a couple things just what the scarlet cord does. The scarlet cord decided. It decided for her. It made the decision for her. When she hung the scarlet cord from her window, she made a decision that she was going to trust the cord over the city. That she was going to put faith in something that she could not see, in a God that she could not uh, has, has never met in a God that she couldn't materialize and she was not going to trust the city in which she was. She's going to trust the cord in which they said if they would put, doesn't it sound like a little bit of a, like a, like a little bit of a trick? Like spies are like, hey, you know, here's the deal. Like if you rescue us, you save us, I, I got you covered, okay? How do, how do I know? Just, you know what, take that red cord, tie it to the window. If you tie it to the window, nothing's going to happen to you, promise. Okay, promise, pinky promise, yep, good, God. It's, it's like, you, th- you would think Rahab got taken, but for some reason, Rahab had faith. Faith to believe that the cord would do something that the city couldn't. I'm gonna tell you, sometimes in our culture, I feel like we really need a revival. We really need God. And sometimes it feels like the church is going down with the culture. But I think that what God's looking for is people that make decisions like Rahab, that in the midst of a city that's going down, a house can still stand. I believe that even in a tough situation, in destructive times, that God is raising up Rahabs that really believe in the cord over the city. They say, I don't know why. I know the, uh, the facts tell me something different. I know the, 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 the news tells me something different. But I am making a decision to have faith. Once she bound that cord to the window, she made a decision. Rahab was a prostitute. She did not have a good past, but yet she was going to trust God for her, well, for her well-being and for her safekeeping. This decision ruined this window for anything else. And this is what I really believe faith really does, is it ruins you for things that you would ordinarily do. It ruins you for just low-level living. Once I decide to have faith in something, it ruins me for anything else. Do you think that Rahab used anything else in her window once that scarlet cord was there and her salvation depended on this scarlet cord? You think it's just like, hey, don't worry about it, kids. Like, if you want to go play with a scarlet cord, you can. It was probably like, hands off. Nobody touched the window. You touch the window, you die. That's how, that's how Rahab's running her house right now. You touch this window, you're going down. Because the scarlet cord was the decision. The decision that would, the scarlet cord also drew. It drew attention. It signaled God. The reason that she protected is because this was her sign. This was her sign to the Israelites, and this was her sign to the God of Israel that I have made on my mind. I have faith to believe to be saved. I have faith to believe that you can rescue me. Even when the city goes down, I've got faith to believe that my house will stand. The scarlet cord drew God's attention. The window that once drew sinners now became the entryway or the opportunity to draw a Savior. 
See, the, the many, many scholars believe that the window and the scarlet cord that she used to signal the Lord was the same window and the same scarlet cord that she would use to signal when she was open for business. That, you've heard of the red light districts, we use that phrase. Well, prostitutes in those days, and specifically in this area, they were known to use red cords to signal when they were open for business. And so it's interesting that the thing that she had used in her past life, God chose to use for her deliverance. It sounds like a scripture that says what the enemy meant for evil, God will work for good. Because I find that oftentimes when I look at the past, I find things that disqualify me. I find things that put me at a distance from God. But God, it was almost as if God wanted to reassure her. That the very thing that you thought disqualified you, I'm going to use as a sign. I'm going to use as a signal. I'm going to use it to draw me to your house. The window that once drew sinners now drew her salvation. Now, the Bible says this in, in the book of Exodus. It's interesting. Is The Old Testament is wild. If you ever read the Old Testament all the way through, you're going to have a lot of questions more than you're going to have answers. And in the book of Exodus, God is trying to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. This is where they were delivered out of slavery. And in doing that, God, God sends plagues on Egypt. One after the other, plague after plague. The last plague that he sends is that the firstborn child of every household would be killed. I mean, this is intense. This is actually in your Bible. Some of you are like, I'm not reading that. I am a New Testament guy. That's it's cool. It all, it all connects, but it, is, it, does that, uh, it does confuse us at times. So the death angel is now moving throughout the city, and he's killing the firstborn child of each family. And God speaks to the people of Israel, and he gives them a way to get out of or the way to protect their family. And he says, if you kill a lamb, and you take the blood of that lamb and you place it over the doorpost of your house, then the death angel will see the blood and it will pass over. Now some of you are like really freaked out. It's like, we're talking about blood this morning. Amazing. It, it, when it saw the blood, see, it, it had to. We read this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. We're talking about communion. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God was setting this up in the very beginning of the Bible, and he says this in the book of Exodus. He says, if you put the blood on the doorpost, then the death angel will pass over. This is where we get the phrase Passover. This is where we get the time. It is, it is symbolic of the moment where the death angel passed over the houses. And so when the death angel would come to a house, it would see the blood, and it would pass over. Now, this is what's really interesting. It didn't matter what was happening in the house. The family didn't have to be sitting around, cross-legged, singing kumbaya. Didn't have to be uh, all doing the right thing at the right time. It didn't matter what was happening in the house. It mattered what was on the house. It, it, it didn't matter what was happening behind the closed doors. It mattered what was on the door. And if the blood was on the door, the death angel would have to pass over. It would have to pass over. This is interesting is that the blood, the blood of Jesus, when Jesus died and he gave his life, that blood covers our sin. It covers the things that would disqualify us, the things that would put us at a distance from God. That is what the sacrifice of Jesus did for me and for you, is it made it possible for us to come into the presence of God. Because the things that would put us at a distance, the blood of Jesus covers 
so that we can now come close. And this is what the scarlet cord did for Rahab is it covered what she was. It covered... They did not look, God was not looking through the window and seeing a prostitute. God was looking at the window and seeing a cord. God was not looking through the, let me just apply it to you. God's not looking through your life and seeing your worst failure. He's looking at your life and looking for a cord. He is not looking through your life and finding your most embarrassment, cha- embarrassing challenge. He is looking at your life and he's looking for a cord. A cord. This scarlet cord has power. The next thing we see is, I think is so interesting, is that the city was attacked. They're, they're going around the city, and you, you know the story, and they march around the city seven times. The city collapses. They shout. The walls literally fall down, except for Rahab's house. Rahab's house stood. The entire city crumbled and fell, and this little window... And this little cord and this little house stayed. So we see that the, the, the scarlet cord did all kinds of things. But one of the things that the scarlet cord did is it delivered her. But I think that the deliverance was more than saving her from the ruins of the city. I think that God's deliverance goes deeper than what we think deliverance does. Because I think deliverance for us is we escape the war. We escaped the city. We got out. I'm going to tell you this. God is not done with you at just escape. God only gets you out because he wants to do something in and through you. The only reason that God would ever save you is because he has an assignment for you. He is not saving you just to save you. He is not rescuing you just to rescue you. He is rescuing you because he has an assignment that is on your life. He has a plan for you, a something to do, marching orders. And when he saved Rahab, it wasn't done. Most people... We end right there and we celebrate. Man, Rahab's house is standing. Praise God. She made it. But it wasn't over then. If you know anything about biblical history and the lineage and the genealogy, most people get the genealogy in the Bible and you stop reading. Right? You turn to Matthew chapter 1 and it's like so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat. (sighs) Chapter 4. Because... It doesn't mean a lot to us, but it's very interesting that Rahab, her deliverance was not just escaping what happened to the city. God wasn't done with her. Because God never leaves you at just escape. He always wants to redeem the past that has entangled you. He always wants to make sure that he redeems what the enemy tried to do to you and tried to do in you. And so this is what we find in the Bible is that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 that Rahab found a husband by the name of Salmon. And Salmon, he was the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And if you know the genealogy, the Messiah had to come through the lineage of David. And so if David came from Rahab, that means that Jesus came from Rahab. If David came from Rahab, that means 
Jesus came from Rahab. So that means that the deliverance was not about escaping the ruins of the city. The deliverance was because God wanted to bring a savior into the world and he had to save Rahab so he could get Jesus. He had to save her so he could get him. And so he did everything necessary. He did everything within his power to make sure even though the city fell, that the house stood because he wasn't trying to save the house. He was trying to save what was in the house. And when he got Rahab out, he had a job for her to do. And he found her a husband. And they started having kids. And from that line came a little boy by the name of Jesus. Jesus? The, the Messiah? Yeah, Jesus, the Messiah, because that's how God works. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the grace of Jesus. He is not trying to just get you out. He is trying to reposition you and repurpose you so that you can be everything that God's called you to be. Rahab put the scarlet cord in the window. When the city was attacked, God saw that scarlet cord. And he didn't, ha- he didn't care what was happening behind the scarlet cord. He knew that because the scarlet cord was there, it represented that someone had faith. And God will move mountains to get to faith. Or quite literally, God will move walls to get to faith. This is what I think is interesting. Why did spies go back in the city? We read in the beginning, God, if God had promised it, why did he send two spies? Why did he send these spies that just happened to show up at Rahab's house? I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe they just happened at Rahab's house. I believe God arranged everything. Because when he sensed faith in the city, he said, Joshua, send some spies. And the spies weren't there to find a weakness in the city. I believe that God was working behind the scenes. And the spies thought they were trying to find weakness in the city. But God was trying to find faith in a woman. And God will do anything. He will do anything to get to faith. Pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't know Rahab's situation. You don't know how dark my life is. You don't know how dark Rahab's life is. But luckily she had a window. And in that window, she didn't place her good works. She didn't place place her church attendance. She didn't place her lead team status. What she placed was a scarlet cord. What is the scarlet cord? What is this cord that we're talking about? Theologians believe, and and, and it's still seen in some places of the world, that there was a type of worm. This type of worm they call the crimson worm or the scarlet worm. And they would take this worm and and, and they, they would make an ointment even from the dye that they took from the worm. And the worm represented sin, and the worm represented healing, because with that ointment they would put it on wounds, and it would, be, it would be healing for wounds. And in order to get the dye out of the worm, you had to kill the worm. So we see hidden in the scarlet cord the very power of the blood of Jesus. The man that came through her lineage, we see his blood in the cord that God said, make sure you have that cord on the window. This represented sin, but it brought healing, and it produced, it produced death. It was produced by death. The only way that you could get the scarlet cord was for something to have to die. Did you know the only way that we got the blood of Jesus was because he had to die? 
It was not a blood transfusion. He had to die in order for his blood to be poured out and to be spilt. And many people say, well, man, I don't like to talk about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the foundation of the Christian faith. It was by the sacrifice of Jesus. Nobody took his life. Nobody killed him. Nobody, nobody took it from him. The Bible says he laid it down on his own accord because he knew in order to get the die, D-Y-E, he had to die, D-I-E. Something has to die to produce the covering. And when God looks at you, he is not looking for a rope. He's not looking for scarlet. He's looking for the blood of Jesus. And when he looks through the window at your life, he is not seeing you in your failure. He's seeing you through blood. And when you look at God, you're not seeing God through your insufficiencies and through everything that disqualifies you. You're seeing it through blood because the blood of Jesus gave us access. The Bible says we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, it says, remember at, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Whatever has distanced you, Whatever's disqualified you, the blood of Jesus is what brings you close. Did you know that Joshua is actually a type and shadow of Jesus? His very name, Yeshua, is a type and shadow. And so the window that once drew sinners now drew a Savior. And the scarlet cord that hung in the window that we thought was just a cord was actually represented of the blood of Jesus. And what was demonstrated in Joshua chapter 2 is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus that if you've got faith anywhere, if you've got faith at any time, that God will do whatever it takes to get to you. Some of us, we think about what happens in the house, and we think that that will keep God from getting to us. But if Rahab could get to God, then you can get to God. If Rahab could get to God, then I can get to God. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't look at me in my weakness and in my failures, the Bible says that through the blood of Jesus, that my sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Some of you are still serving time on sins that you committed years ago, that you're the only one that ever remembered it. The Bible says everything that's forgiven by him, he throws into a sea of forgetfulness. And who's bringing it up is you and the enemy. That's it. Because when the blood of Jesus covered it, you got behind a window, a window with a cord in it. And when Jesus looks at you, that cord absorbs everything that you ever did to dishonor him or to come against him or to disqualify you. So what, is this, what does that mean, Pastor? We can just like, it doesn't matter what we do. No, when you recognize the price that Jesus had to pay to get this cord over your life, then you don't want to do anything. You don't want to compromise in any way. You don't want to hurt him in any way. That any, do anything that would be against him when you recognize the price. Well, pastor, if it doesn't matter what I do and I can be saved, no, when you recognize the price of what he did to save you, you want to please him. You want to live for him. You want to serve him. Let me just say it this way. God will always use 
what disqualified you. You thought what disqualified you is just a waste. We escaped the city. Let's move on. New season, new city. Let me just tell you, God will always use what disqualified you. He, he, he did for Rahab. The window was the place of shame for her because when she would hang the cord in the window, it would bring people that would bring her pain. It represented her emptiness and her occupation and the things that actually removed her from God. It's interesting. It's funny that God would say in that same window, that thing that disqualified you, I'm going to use it to qualify you. The things that keep us at a distance are things that we're allowing to get in the way of our view of God. But if you can look through I know it sounds gruesome, but if you can understand the value of it, if you can look through blood, you can understand that everything that's keeping you at a distance is things that he is not seeing. And everything that you have, the thoughts that you have about God, or maybe the anger you have towards God when you look at him, you're seeing him in a way that you're not seeing him through the blood. God will always use what disqualified you, and he'll always redeem what cursed you. It's just good news for somebody. The thing that you thought you were cursed with, God, will, God doesn't just rescue you from it. He redeems it. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference. To rescue you with something is one thing. Like, if you go to Dave & Buster's today, and you score a bunch of points, you could rescue a bunch of tickets. But those tickets have a value. And you don't get the value until you go redeem them, which means you turn them in for something else. When, when, when God says he's going to redeem you, it means he's going to take up all your garbage, all your past, all the mistakes. He's going to, Bible says he'll give you beauty for ashes. So you can take your ashes and you can lay him at his feet. He doesn't want those. Why would he ever want those? But in exchange, the redemption is that he gives you something beautiful for something terrible. He gives you something great for something of such lesser value. He gives you a good future for a bad past. That's our God. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that he loved us so much that he gave Jesus to provide a scarlet cord on the window of every house. And if I were you, I wouldn't care as much about what the house looks like. And I would just make sure the cord's in the window. I would care a little bit less about what I look like and about what I appear to other people. And I would just make sure I've got the blood of Jesus on the doorframe of my house. That I, as a believer, have faith in the cord. The city might be strong or the city might be going down. But my faith is not in the city staying or going. My faith is in the cord. My faith is in the precious blood of Jesus. My faith is in him. My my faith is believing and standing and trusting even when I can't see it for myself. Once the cord is in your window, you'll never be the same again. Once, once, once this thing, it's getting a little loose after a couple services, but once that thing is in your window, you'll never be the same again. You ever not come to church because you felt shameful about what you've done? This solves that. This solves that. Well, do we stand for holiness and righteousness? You better believe it, and you'd, you'd be amazed at how it comes when you recognize what he did for us. Some of you have had distorted views of God. It's because the window you've looked through hasn't had a cord in it. 
some of you feel like God has a distorted view of you. But it's because the window that you see God looking through doesn't have a cord in it. But when you overlay the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, his love, over that window, and he looks with you, looks at you, I'm just going to tell you, he will move heaven and earth to get to you. We've got people that are sitting right in this auditorium right now that if you heard their stories, it would shock you because you see a life that was wasted and you see God turn around and use them for his glory. You see people that did terrible things, but God redeemed, not just rescued, redeemed them and now they're making a huge difference for the kingdom of God. It does not matter how far you've been. It matters when you stop trusting the city and you start trusting the cord. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.